Welcome to True North Vineyard Podcast, where we share our Sunday gathering messages. True North is a vibrant church plant community located in Traverse City, Michigan area. We are centered in the Bible and follow the example of Jesus praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We hope that our Sunday gathering messages encourage you to lean into the word of God and compel you to take action. To connect with us, visit our website, vineyardtruenorth.churchcenter.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at True North Vineyard. A few weeks ago, we started a sermon series on worship. Um, We talked about why we worship, the four H's of worship, and Jonathan talked about the horizontal and the vertical of worship, um, how our worship in song and in our lives can serve as a witness to others. One of the four H's we talked about was home, which was one of my favorites. Um, When we know Christ, we become part of the family of God. We find our home in him, and he makes his home in us. His presence dwells in us. If you didn't catch those and you weren't here the last couple of weeks, those are also on Spotify. Um, Jonathan has been putting those up weekly. He tries to get them up on Mondays. Um, so he's been pretty good about that. Probably won't have tomorrow's up, <laughs> this, today's up tomorrow, but um, he's traveling. Um, we also talked about Psalm 22.3. It says God dwells in or inhabits the praises of his people. And John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard Movement, said this. God dwells in the praises of his people. So we should always come to worship prepared for an audience with the king. And we should expect the spirit of God to work among us. He moves in different ways, sometimes for salvation, sometimes for deliverances, sometimes for sanctification or healings. God always visits us through the prophetic gifts. So when we come together on Sundays, it's a time set aside to meet with God. And we come expecting his arrival, expecting his presence. The Greek word for presence in the Bible actually means arrival or coming. And it's our responsibility to be prepared, to prepare the way for the Lord. But in order to be prepared, we have to practice. So this week, I want to dive into practicing the presence of God. You know, they say practice makes perfect, but I want to talk about practice makes present. Part of living a life of worship is learning to practice the presence, learning to live a life filled with the Spirit, because practice makes us present to what God is doing. Practice is actually, the official definition says, the actual application or use of an idea, belief, or method, as opposed to theories relating to it. And I love that because that's exactly what we need, right? Where we can always get stuck in, we have all these ideas of what God is or who God is or what what he's doing, but to apply our belief is to practice. So a Christian practice is something we do repeatedly in order to build our relationship with God. So we read our Bible, we pray, we meet on Sundays, we worship together. And when we practice pursuing presence throughout the week, we also prepare ourselves for our time together. Before we dive into more of what that looks like, let's take a look at how God showed up in the Bible how he was present with his people. Now, this is going to be 
a simplification of the many times that God was present in the Bible. Clearly, there's many more than this, but I picked out a few that I thought were significant for today. Um, The first is that God was present with Adam and Eve in the garden. We all know that he walked, he was walking with them in the garden. And then God appeared as a pillar of a, a pillar of fire and a cloud. I said that backwards. God appeared as a pillar. That's hard to say. Pillar, you know what I'm saying, cloud and fire. He led the Egyptians out of Egypt by guiding them with a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud. That sounds weird too, by day. You know what I'm saying. But he did that, which was really cool. And God was present at Mount Sinai to Moses. Um, I want to read that, actually, that passage is Exodus 19. It says, this is kind of a big one. Exactly two months after the Israelites left Egypt, they arrived in the wilderness of Sinai. After breaking camp at Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and set up camp there at the base of Mount Sinai. Then Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. The Lord called to him from the mountain and said, give these instructions to the family of Jacob. Announce it to the descendants of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth. For all the earth belongs to me and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. So Moses returned from the mountain and called together the elders of the people and told them everything the Lord had commanded him. And all the people responded together, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. So Moses brought the people's answer back to the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will come to you in a thick cloud, Moses, so the people themselves can hear me when I speak with you. Then they will always trust you. Moses told the Lord what the people had said. Then the Lord told Moses, go down and prepare for the arrival. Prepare the people for my arrival. Consecrate them today and tomorrow and have them wash their clothing. Be sure they are ready on the third day. For on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai as all the people watch. Mark off a boundary all around the mountain. Warn the people, be careful. Do not go up on the mountain or even touch its boundaries. Anyone who touches the mountain will certainly be put to death. However, when the ram's horn sounds a long blast, then the people may go up on the mountain. And if you continue to read in Exodus, God shows up with fire. (laughs) So people really didn't want to go near that. They were going to die if they were too close to the presence. Um, which will be significant in a minute. So keep that in mind. Um, But I just wanted to show you what that looked like in the Old Testament. After that, God was present in the Ark of the Covenant and in the tabernacle. I'm not gonna dig too much into that, but let's see what that looks like when he fills the tabernacle. In Exodus 40, it says, then the cloud covered the tabernacle and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could no longer enter the tabernacle because the cloud had settled down over it and the glory of the Lord filled the the tabernacle. Now, whenever the cloud lifted from the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out on their journey following it. But if the cloud did not rise, they remained where they were until it lifted. The cloud of the Lord hovered over the tabernacle during the day, and at night, fire glowed inside the cloud, so the whole family of Israel could see it. 
that's continued throughout all their journeys. Man, that's cool. Wouldn't it be neat if we had just this cloud hanging out over here and then, you know, at nighttime it was glowing and we knew, okay, God is here, so we're doing the right thing? I would, I would love it. <laughs> um, the next way we see God be present is in Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. And then when he left, Holy Spirit came upon the disciples in the upper room. So those are the major ways that we see God present. In Acts 2, we see it happen. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there, they were, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be? These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are. Oh, gosh, I didn't practice this part. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia. I'm going to ask you how I did later. Phrygia, Pamphylia, this is Egypt. You get the idea. There was a lot of people from a lot of different places. And they were all hearing them speak in their language, which was not their native tongue. So cool. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? So what happened when God was present? There's a stream through all of these stories. There's something that God did every single time. The first is he called them to repentance. He called them back to him. Every time. He also guided them. And he dwelled with them. And then he commissioned them. From the very beginning, we see that God intended to dwell with us as he was present with Adam and Eve in the garden. Only when sin entered the chat was there separation from God. But he made a way to be present with us. And any time he visited his people, he always guided them and gave them instructions. He was like, here's the map to my house. If you want to stay close to me, then stay on this route. Only his people wanted to do it their way, time and time again. They built false idols. They doubted. They longed to go back to their old ways in slavery, even with literal physical manifestations of his presence. They doubted. They had the cloud, the pillar of fire. They had manna from heaven, literal food from heaven, and they were complaining and they wanted to go back to slavery. When Jesus was present, he healed the sick, performed miracles, he calmed the storm, all while demonstrating that the kingdom of God is here. And not unlike God's presence in the Old Testament, Jesus called people to repentance, guiding them to the Father. And then when he left, he sent his spirit and told us to do greater things. That's quite a charge from Jesus to do greater things than he did through his spirit. 
So how can we be different from the Israelites that had physical manifestations of God's presence but still wanted to go back to slavery? How do we practice dwelling? How do we let God dwell in us? How do we live a life filled with the presence of God and not just mountaintop moments? Just like he did with them, God gave us instructions with his word. He gave us the how-to guide to practice the presence of God in our lives. And remember, practice makes us present to what God is doing. So we see in Ephesians 3, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus from prison. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now boldly and confidently, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I'm suffering for you, so you should feel honored. He's writing from prison. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. So now we see the difference from the Israelites who were warned not to even be near the mountain when God was present, to Paul writing that we can approach the presence of God with confidence so that we can know how big the love of Jesus is, so that he can make his home in our hearts and so that we are empowered by his spirit because of Jesus. He did that for us. We can now confidently come into his presence. I was listening to a podcast this week and they said something about what, how what shows up is what we've stored up. And that really challenged me. Wow, what am I storing up throughout the week? Am I storing up anxiety and fear? Am I storing up depression? Am I storing up worry and strife? Or am I storing up hope and love and joy? And the fruits of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, am I going after God? So, in Matthew 7, it says, this is how we're going to do it. This is what we're going to store up. Keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for fish, do you give him, them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give, give good gifts to those who ask him? So some ways we can prepare to encounter his presence, some ways we can practice the presence and prepare ourselves are this. The first one, these, if you're taking notes, write this one down, ask. I know it sounds easy and simple, 
It is simple, but it's not easy all the time. But we're going to ask and we're going to say, come Holy Spirit. That's something that we practice here in this church weekly. And we want to do that daily. Say, come Holy Spirit. Ask. Ask him to come. It's that simple. And the second thing is seek. Look for where God is. Actively seek his face in the scriptures, in prayer, and in your daily life. If you've ever played hide and seek, you know that there's two people involved, right? You can't just hide by yourself. Nobody's going to come find you. And if you're looking for something and there's nobody to look for, that's not going to work either. But God says, if you seek, you will find. If, if you seek him, you will find him. So he's waiting and he's ready. We just have to put action to, to that and actually seek him. Number three, listen. Listen to what he says. After you've done the asking, after you've been seeking God, when he comes because you asked, and when you find him because you've been looking for where he is, now you have to listen. What is he calling you to do? Are you going to follow his instructions? I hope so. I don't, I don't want any of us to be like the Israelites. I don't want us to doubt. I'm sure many of us have, and we will. But I want us all to follow his instructions. Number four is meet. Find fellowship in his presence and with each other. It's pretty simple. Make time to meet with him on your own throughout the week so that you're storing up those things of God. So then when we come together and we meet on Sundays, we have gifts to give each other. Number five, worship with expectancy. I want to go back to that um, John Wimber quote. It says, God dwells in the praises of his people, so we should always come to worship, prepared for an audience with the king, and we should expect the spirit of God to work among us. He moves in different ways, sometimes for salvation, sometimes for deliverances, sometimes for sanctification or healings. God always visits us through the prophetic gifts. Are you ready for an audience with the king? Are you prepared? Have you been asking, seeking, listening, meeting with him? When you expect something to happen or someone to show up, you prepare. A woman expecting a baby prepares for the arrival of that baby. She plans, she dreams, she nests. Some throw a baby shower, some will read books on what to do on what to expect when having a baby. Some will hire a birth coach to help them deliver the baby. While many moms do things differently, most of them will prepare themselves in some way for that day when they bring a baby into the world. When someone's coming over to your house, you prepare. You might clean your house or prepare food and drinks or some form of entertainment. When you know someone is going to arrive, you prepare. So when we gather expecting God to show up, we prepare by doing all of these things. 
We ask, we seek, we listen, we meet, and we worship. But why do we expect him to come? What are we expecting to actually happen? In Acts 16, we read, Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jail woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before, before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. So here we see Paul and Silas, two prisoners that decided to pray and sing hymns to God. Now, I don't know about you, but in all honesty, honesty, I'm not sure if that's, that would be my first thing that I would do in prison. I don't know. I'm asking myself, would I do that? Would, would that be my first thought? Would that be, is that who I am? Is that who I've made myself to be? The person that will praise God in the prison. And when they did that, every chain broke. Man, that's awesome. And after that, they all told them about Jesus. And people came to know Jesus. This is a lot of, this is similar to what Jonathan talked about with our worship being our, our witness. They worshiped, they were set free, and then they were commissioned to tell people about Jesus. So when we worship and we get set free, it's not just for us. It's not just so that we can feel good about ourselves and be free. It's so that everybody else can hear about it too. Years ago, I was sitting in a church, a church service, hungover. I had been raised in church. I knew the Holy Spirit, but I was struggling. I'd been through heartbreak, was doubting my identity in Christ, and was desperate for freedom. That day, I knew there was a special guest speaker and felt a tug from the Holy Spirit to go to church that day. When I walked in, they were singing a song that said, I'm not going back. I'm moving ahead. I'm here to declare to you, my past is over. In you, all things are made new. Surrender my life to Christ. I'm moving forward. I felt the presence of God so strong in that moment, and I knew my life was going to change. The preacher called for people who needed freedom from addiction, and I knew in my heart I needed that. You see, my family had a history of addiction. 
even as a baby, my body knew addiction. My mom struggled with addiction when she had me. So much that I wasn't expected to live. Yes, I'm a crier. I came prepared. (laughs) I wasn't expected to live. But God, in his grace, had a way for me to experience his presence. He answered the prayers of a broken mother. And after six weeks in foster care, I landed with my spirit-filled grandparents. They always told me it was like I knew I was home. After six weeks of drug withdrawals, I was suddenly healthy and whole. That's the power of the presence. So here I was standing in a church, in the church, an adult, now struggling with my own addictions. I thought it was just a little partying, but it had turned into blacked out nights every weekend and nearly getting a DUI. I was in Bible college. (laughs) I was actively serving in ministry, but I was living a double life. In that moment, when he called for those who needed freedom from addiction, I knew I had to go forward. I sheepishly stood near the side since I was embarrassed, but this was my first of what would be many encounters with God's manifest presence in my body. I was trembling as the preacher prayed. I was overcome by God's presence, and I was called to repentance. Just as God healed me as a child, his presence met me and healed me from my addiction. He made his home in me once again. So when we come together on Sundays, I come expecting God to meet people in their brokenness. I come expecting him to move, to bring healing, to bring freedom. I show up knowing that I owe my life to the miracle that Jesus gave to a broken, addicted mother 37 years ago. I show up knowing that other people's lives depend on us, that Northern Michigan is depending on us to go and tell them the good news. When I read the scripture that tells me God dwells in the praises of his people and I see what happens in his presence, I have to worship. I have to prepare the way for all of us to encounter his presence. I'm worshiping like my life depends on it. Worshiping like your life depends on it. Like other people's lives depend on it. Because it does. So we're actually going to wrap it up with some worship. And I, wanna, I want us to practice. Practice the presence. We're going to ask that he would come. We're going to seek him. We're going to listen. We're going to meet with him. And we're going to worship with expectancy because I know the power that happens in God's presence. I could tell you story after story of God's presence doing a miracle. And I know many of you can too. Many of you in here have have received physical healing in your body. I've, I've received so much healing over my life from physical to mental, spiritual, all of it. And God is here to do that today. Not just for us, but so that 
we can tell other people about what he did, about who he is, about his love. It said, how big, how high, how wide is the love of Jesus? Thanks again for tuning in to the True North Vineyard podcast. We hope that you are blessed by this message. To connect with us, be sure to visit our website, vineyardtruenorth.churchcenter.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at True North Vineyard. We hope to see you soon.